0: Welcome to the Humanitarian Leadership Academy podcast, where we share fresh humanitarian perspectives. In this episode, we are going to talk about capacity-building initiatives in the Middle East and North Africa region. I'm Oksana, communications officer at the Humanitarian Leadership Academy, and today I am excited to speak with Bodur Goshe, the HLA regional lead in Middle East and North Africa region, and Abed Debas, the education specialist at Save the Children Syria Response Office. Thank you both for joining. Badur, would you like to start by introducing yourself to our listeners?
1: Thank you, Oksana. Thank you for having us today. Uh, So uh, my name is Badur Ghoshay and uh, I work as the Regional um, uh, Humanitarian Leadership Academy Lead uh, for the Middle East and Northern Africa region. Uh, I am based in Amman, Jordan, and I work uh, at the Regional Office for Save the Children International. Uh, my role basically is to oversight all the capacity strengthening initiatives in the MENA region and also uh, to make sure that we are responding to um, to the different crises in our region and, and also um, making sure that we um, work on strengthening the capacities uh, for different country offices um, that are identified by our partners.
0: Abed, can you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about your role?
2: Thank you very much. This is Abed Dabas. I'm working uh, with Save the Children as an education specialist uh, since 2020 at the Syria Response Office based in Gaza and Tep, Turkey. Um, my main role is to manage and oversight the technical and operational aspects of the education program in Northwest Syria, which is a part of the uh, overall Syria Response Office.
0: Thank you both for joining me today. and We are going to speak mostly about strengthening capacities by providing learning. Bador, this year your team managed to train about 300 people from Turkey, Syria, Jordan and other countries in the region and this number keeps growing. Tell us a bit about how you plan these training activities to make sure that we meet the needs of local humanitarian actors and responders.
1: In the Humanitarian Leadership Academy, uh, we always believe that the learner is our 10-track focus. So whatever intervention we provide, whatever capacity uh, building initiative uh, we, um, we put out there, it's always based uh, on the needs and it's always tailored and customized. We always make sure that reference of the modality of the training, the, the topic of the training, that it's always based on what the need is out there and what our target group really want from this training. So uh, in the HLA regional center, we always work with our partners. They can, they are, can be local organizations or international organizations. And we make sure that we deliver uh, the tailored uh, learning that really meets uh, their demands. For any crisis that you face, as you know, in our region, we have so many crises. Uh, we utilize different formats uh, of a training. So we can provide simulation, we can provide mentor mentoring, and also from online distance re- uh, learning to face-to-face training. Or it can be sometimes Sometimes um, uh, working as in a group work or maybe one-to-one coaching. So as I mentioned before, we do that by identifying what is the exact need out there. Then we start to design our interventions. Uh, So how do we really capture what is the need out there? We do um, training needs assessment. We do a lot of meetings, a lot of discussion with, you know, the program leads and the leadership. Also, uh, we do that through our observation. So we look at what are the emerging uh, needs um, in different crises, in different contexts. And we make sure that uh, we collaborate with different networks, with the clusters, uh, with, the, for example, NGO forum and with the wider sector to make sure that we really take all that, the needs that is identified out there.
0: This sounds like you have really great insights because you work so closely with local organizations and partners. Can you share about capacity strengthening needs, which are the most current?
1: Usually when we work with the partners, I will talk a little bit about like how we work with the partners and give you some examples. So uh, when we work with the partners, we um, identify the needs faster because, as you know, the partners, they are uh, already working on the ground and they have greater accessibility. Uh, They know the context more than us and they already uh, know uh, about the need. They are usually the first responders for any crisis. So they can decide on what are our priorities and what are the areas that we should start working uh, on. uh, And also they can decide on what is the best modality uh, for our intervention. So, for example, are we going to uh, provide our uh, support uh, to be face to face? Is it to be uh, remote facilitated? Is it going to be only online? So they can also like guide us on what is the best modality for our support and also um, on the language preferences. Uh, So, for example, we delivered uh, um, a training program uh, this month, December, in Lebanon, and the preferred language was in English. Uh, We delivered the same training in Yemen and Syria, and the preferred language was Arabic. So it really depends on the context of of each country that we operate on. Uh, And we are planning to deliver the same training in Turkey, and of course, it will be in Turkish. Also, another example on on how we work with the local uh, organization is our work with the Libyan uh, context. So as you know, Libya was hit by this uh, hurricane uh, this year. This left many or local organizations in urgent need for capacity-saving support. So after conducting a number of interviews, uh, meetings with local partners, uh, they com- came up with the-, with the need to be trained on crisis management and conflict-sensitivity topics, which we are planning to provide next month. So we gathered all the, the need from these local uh, partners. I will give another example also for Libya, as you know, uh, Access to Libya is not very easy, like it, it can take a lot of time and it's not always feasible. So we choose um, to do the TOT approach in which we train focal people from uh, local organization um, from Libya. They come to Jordan, for example, and we uh, provide them with training on crisis management. They go back uh, to Libya to cascade this training back uh, in their own location. And they can also uh, adapt and adjust uh, this training uh, curriculum to their context.
0: Yeah, this shows how much work is done even before the training is actually provided. And Abed, my next question is for you. Can you tell a little bit about the work with education clusters? Maybe you can give some examples which are specific to Middle East and North Africa.
2: Well, basically, the ultimate goal of the education clusters um, globally and even in the region is to ensure that all children and youth um, affected by different types of emergencies have access um, to education opportunities, which is meant to support their well-being in development. And that can be achieved also through the organization and coordination of various stakeholders in the field of education during the humanitarian emergency or crisis. Also, these clusters um, um, across different regions generally share the similar operational aspects which slots could be slightly variated uh, based on the context-specific dynamics, and typically can be led and co-led by UN agencies and humanitarian agencies as well. Furthermore, the, real, the rule, let's say, extends beyond the coordination and encompass advocacy transitioning into real recovery, as well as addressing the capacity building needs among um, the, the members participating in that cluster, which we counted on to help understanding the capacity building needs among cluster members.
0: This sounds like one of the critical connections that you need to have in the region to provide uh, tailored trainings and tailored learning opportunities. And I have a follow up question. What I have noticed, of course, from more of an observer position is more attention for uh, well-being, psychological safety and this type of learning. Uh, Is it right? Do you notice this uh, demand?
2: During the crisis, I mean, it depends on the type of the crisis, but uh, usually the psychosocial aspects comes always first and so shocking or influencing aspects that could be affected not only the population, but even the humanitarian workers that are operating in the area. So, for example, the earthquake, uh, when it hit Syria and Turkey in the same time, there are a lot of advocacy, a lot of work that has been you know, has been done to coordinate with MHPSS subcluster, with child protection cluster. To ensure we have that the proper materials and knowledge to facilitate incorporate within the education let's say programming which should be translated at the end of the capacity building events being provided so MHBSs was a key component we start to see within all the education programming as key aspect to provide some sort of a, an understanding the MHPSS um, status among children among uh, um, teachers let's say and even among the people that are like, responsible um, for facilitating or providing the capacity building and the, you know, facilitation of the whole education programming um, activities. So this is a really good component. And then um, with the hand, of course, with the help of the HLA team, as there's a lot of um, efforts being done, like the fundamentals, education measures fundamentals done. That was a key component in HPSs, which was already, in, which was included um, in the training, uh, for, which was conducted for the five days.
0: But do you want to add on this topic?
1: Uh, it's very important like to to especially with the earthquake response, you know the the staff being is' very important as well. So for us, for example, when the earthquake um, uh, happened in uh, in Turkey and Syria, so uh, we had a lot of consultation with the local partners as well. and um, you know this topic came out from this consultation. Uh, And uh, like a lot of partners, they they mentioned that, you know, staff will be its priority at this point because uh, a lot of the staff, they are overwhelmed with all, you know, the the urgent work, all this urgency, uh, all of this crisis. So I think this is a very important topic. And also, as we can see in our region, it's not only for Turkey and Syria. We have also you know, all the the attacks on Gaza as well. Uh, as you see, um, we have some other conflicts here and there in other countries in the region. Uh, also, we have like the hurricane in, um, in, um, in Libya. We have the earthquake in Morocco. So our region is full of crisis. So I think, you know, uh, staff will being and, you know, mental health is the priority uh, as well. Uh, and uh, as HLA, we are planning to provide a series of a training uh, next year um you know regarding this topic um you know we will be uh, you know partnering with um uh, one of the organizations uh, and we will start to deliver a lot of series of training on this topic as well
0: yeah this sounds really important in the poly crisis situation and speaking about earthquake response in turkey and syria Badur, can you tell us a bit more about what was the immediate actions we took and how did the response develop over almost a year now?
1: So, um, actually, when the earthquake happened on the 6th of February, I was in, in Ghazi in So, uh, I was able to see the amount of loss, damage, and you know grief this disaster has really brought so what we what we did we started first of all by providing um you know as, at the early stages of um, of this uh, crisis we started to provide uh, something we call it the response hub the response hub is uh, an online platform uh, that gather all of the courses that uh, people who are uh, on the ground and they are want, they want to respond to this crisis they can you know quickly uh, refer to uh, this platform and they can you know, uh, you know, choose like the topics that they really need to upscale themselves on. Uh, this response hub was translated to both languages, to Arabic and to Turkish, and it was cascaded uh, through um, Turkey and Syria, uh, Save the children Country offices, uh, through uh, the uh, clusters and the NGO forums. And it was like uh, spreading to, to all the of our uh, colleagues and partners who are working on the ground. This is the first step. Uh, the second step, uh, we started to have some uh, consultation uh, with um, our local partners, uh, for example, uh, in the Syria office. Uh, we had a lot of discussions discussions in, in coordination with the uh, partnership unit in the City Response op- Office and our partners and to see exactly what are the priority uh, for the staff at this point. And, um, you know, at that at that point, at the early stages of the earthquake, uh, the best modality that was identified, uh, it was the remote facilitated session. Um, because, as you know, people, they were too busy to attend like these face-to-face full day training so uh that they thought that the best modality was to have like a series of remote facilitated session uh, the topics that um, you know was uh, you know it, it decided upon where like we mentioned uh, it's um, about the staff well-being uh, about um, uh, mentoring and coaching and about safeguarding um uh, why we choose like uh, like these topics as you know for example for safeguarding This topic was priority at that point because, as you know, with the crisis, there is a lot of uh, rapid recruitment and a lot of volunteers, they uh, are being hired quickly without maybe being uh, effectively inducted or uh, trained. So this type of training was very beneficial just uh, as a tip for people to upskill the staffs who are, you know, being recruited at a very short time. Uh, so we delivered in May 2023 uh, around three uh, facilitated sessions, uh, targeting around 69 participants uh, who are based in Ghazi Intab. And And uh, from out of these 69 participants, there were 29 women and 40 men, and they are all uh, from local uh, Syrian organizations. So this was our uh, first uh, response. And later on, we started to decide on... Some uh, of face-to-face uh, activities, it was after three to four months. So uh, we delivered, uh, for example, the education and emergency fundamental uh, training. It was face-to-face uh, training. It was done uh, in coordination with the education cluster. And later on, we started to deliver more of uh, face-to-face training. But, uh, but as I mentioned at the beginning, it was very hard uh, to do any face-to-face activities. So later on, after like three, four, five months, we started to do more of these face-to-face activities.
0: Speaking about this blended approach, I think the recent training in Lebanon was absolutely amazing example when it was online learning followed up with online session but also then participants were able to attend a face-to-face in-person training and the story about it is already on our website so if our listeners are interested they can read about it i I think it's a great example but in turkey and syria context can you maybe explain or give us some insights when you decide that it's time for a face-to-face training because of course there are a lot of online learning opportunities we provide various digital learning but at some point there is a need for face-to-face training just tell us about uh, how you decide that it's time
1: basically uh, we need to do a lot of consultation uh, with our partners uh, who are on the ground they can decide for example if this time is suitable or this time is not suitable and also our uh, staff in uh, in the country offices to make sure that you know this time is best now sometimes uh, some courses they are very short um you know we can do them on la- uh, uh, online because they will not require a lot of time and sometimes it doesn't make sense like to 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 do them face to face because the topics they are very short maybe people they need maybe some um, type of uh, you know some uh, maybe refresher so we can do them uh, online, but sometimes we, we, we have to do them face-to-face. And especially when we talk, for example, about simulation, uh, simulations, uh, they are better done face-to-face. Uh, we have done before throughout COVID, we have done some simulation online. But to be honest, you know, some type of uh, activities, they are better to be done uh, face-to-face because they give, uh, you know, the experience in a better way.
0: I believe it was uh, always in the feedback Uh, from participants of this learning event that simulation was always found as one of the most useful parts. Uh, Participants are usually really appreciating this opportunity. Abed, can you tell us a bit more about face-to-face trainings in Syria?
2: I think uh, just to supplement also what um, Badur mentioned and um, allow me maybe to go backward a bit uh, during the COVID-19 pandemic period. Well, the global adaptation of conducting capacity building events online emerged as an alternative solution temporarily even, but was also to ensure that all individuals remain connected uh, with the latest, let's say, um, skills and knowledge trends. However, this transition to online format wasn't um, really good and without, you know, and uh, until a lot of challenges, primarily revolving around the logistical capacities and fostering active participation, um, which came upon the observation of several um, capacity building events, let's say, took place uh, during that period in Northwest. So when the HLA team approached us post theotic way we say and even before, um, and not you know save the children' let's say in the education cluster together about um, several several let's say ideas and opinions, but more specifically about the education emergency fundamentals training. a clear and compelling case was made for the necessity of facilitating face-to-face sessions to enhance effectiveness to say and encourage more active participation among um, the members. So the focus was set on the new generation of education emergency team members, those instructed to be um, with the program management and development, and who have, let's say, direct access to the field. The field means the Northwest directly because we're operating as a cross-border response or the participants are based in Turkey, which enabled them as well to transfer this knowledge to the field staff, as I said. And also there was like a desire to invite, invite field staff from Northwest to say, um, so we have people from Northwest to come here to Turkey, but because of a lot of logistical or uh, cross-border um, you know, complications, we couldn't do so, which is something we're planning ahead later, to have those train people to, part, you know, to facilitate this knowledge or even conduct directly online trainings with these people, even assign people here from the um, implemented partners with very skillful facilitation skills, to say, to facilitate this training directly in the field. Um, but also to ensure this process is facilitated very much well, um, the cluster played a really great role in managing the registration processes, say, disseminating limitations, and helping also um, for the selection criteria for those who want to participate, because sometimes uh, we're talking about more than a hundred uh, members in the cluster. When you do a training, you cannot absorb more than 20-25 per se. Um so the creative action criteria needs to be also well um, um identified before the training. And additionally also um the consideration was given to the legal work permit, let's say legal status for this organization and ensure any kind of um, um issues or maybe complications with the government hosting these NGOs.
0: Now having the bigger picture about Turkey and Syria, it would be also interesting to hear about work in other countries of the region, because obviously this is different type of crisis. These are different type of responders. Uh, Badur, can you give us some examples of our work in other countries in the Middle East and North Africa region?
1: Actually, we um, we uh, w- do a lot of work in Yemen. Uh, so in Yemen, uh, we um, we do a lot of work with the Save the Children Yemen uh, Partnership uh, Unit, where we do a lot of uh, organizational capacity assessment uh, t- training uh, for the local Yemeni partners. And also we uh, do a lot of uh, technical trainings in Yemen, uh, in different locations, in uh, Sana'a and in Adan as well. Uh, we do also a lot of uh, regional workshops. So... Um, when we talk about regional workshops, we are targeting more than one country. So, for example, this year uh, in July, uh, we delivered um, uh, this regional workshop that we targeted different countries. So, we we targeted from Egypt, from um, from Iraq, from Yemen, from Lebanon, uh, from Turkey, Syria. So, it, it was like a, bre- a blend of uh, countries, and um, they attended this uh, this workshop. Uh, it was around. Uh, it, it was called the Hope uh, Workshop. Uh, the humanitarian operation program and uh, it was basically relying on uh, group work on activities on simulation. So this is one of the activities where we uh, you know do this uh, regional workshop as well. Uh, also we are planning to do some work with other countries uh, for next year uh, for with Iraq and Egypt. Uh, we are right now in the, um, you know, needs assessment phase where we are, you know, identifying what are the exact needs for for these uh, two countries, and then we are going to, uh, later on to, to to decide on the type of uh, support we are going to provide, if it's going to be operational or maybe technical or organizational uh, type of support.
0: And speaking about education in emergencies program. I know that we are also working with the Certified Advanced Studies course in uh, Jordan. Abed, can you tell us more about this program?
2: Um, sure, thank you very much for this question. Well, I mean, um, I've joined several, I mean, it's been four years working um, Save the Children. And before that, I have I had another four years working with local NGOs here in Clear Response. And I joined and managed several you know, events, cabs building events, workshop, etc. But this one is what's my best, my favorite. Um, because it was really thorough. Um, it was really useful for my um, you know, my my position this way, because I'm I'm responsible, you know, to manage um and technically provide, you know, enhancing this in the children education programming. So um this is uh, really useful. It, it's extended more than a year, let's say to complete. Um Uh, But it was the first time to say, also, we had this um, event, or maybe this program, um, for this long period. So it was more than a training, other than like a journey, you know. Um, And the period that I spent completing this course allowed me really to bridge a lot of gap between the theory and the practice, I say. Because I had to compare the you knowledge acquired from my program as an experience with the real world challenges in my, you know, as you know, my work with with the children and with the C response specifically. And this process as well not only enriched my understanding about the course modules themselves, but also empowered me to share my insights as a facilitator in education management fundamentals as well. Furthermore, my 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 engagement with the CAS Education Emergency Program extended was extended beyond the course of content. And um, I became deeply immersed, you know, with the art of facilitation, paying great attention to how facilitators engage their audiences, you know, capturing participants' attention and leveraging technology to enhance the learning experience. Um and then, you know, um post you know, post when I graduated, I immediately, you know, registered for this second class which is the digital learning and emergency, which was also a really great journey, which I completed which I completed as well. And that now enabled me to register in the next stage, which is the mass, um, the master in advanced studies in, in the field of international education and research as well, which is something I'm still which is still ongoing till the end of twenty twenty four. So this is a non stop journey, let's say, which very much useful. Um it's not about Program, or that's not about your work in career, but also for self-development as well, which, you know, take you to, be, to be, become someone who will maybe look at a more scientific um, person that can provide some sort of um, articles in future, you know, and be more in consultancy work. Uh, so it was one of the my best, you know, achievements, maybe the same during my, my say life even.
0: This sounds really inspiring. And also this uh, programme sounds like it goes really well with our localization agenda. And my next question is for Badur. As Humanitarian Leadership Academy, we champion locally led learning. Uh, can you tell us more and maybe give some examples from Middle East and North Africa region? So uh, in line with our uh,
1: localization agenda, in order to improve and expand our impact, and building on local capacities, we always, uh, you know, involve uh, the local experts and we always uh, build on their skills and we do a lot of cooperation with them. So one example is in Yemen, um, we we rely always on our pool of experts that that were originally trained uh, by the Humanitarian Leadership Academy. And then they can, you know, after this training, they can go back to Yemen and they can cascade uh, the training in Yemen. So for example, uh, as I mentioned before in this, um, uh, Podcast like uh, you know our expert in Aden and Sanaa, they delivered uh, two education emergency programs. You know this was delivered by our certified focal people. Uh, of course, these uh, focal people, they come from different backgrounds. They come from local and international organizations. And they were able to cascade this training uh, in their own context, adapting the curriculum, adapt- adapting the content, uh, and also choosing the modality, modality that best fit that con- that context. Uh, another approach is, um, you know, through mentoring. For example, also in Yemen, when we delivered the organization capacity assessment uh, training of facilitated program I mentioned before, this was delivered, uh, you know, to representative of a 20 partner organization in Yemen so uh, these partner organization they uh, took this, this training and they were able to cascade this training later on in their own organization and this training was, uh, you know, provided by our colleagues uh, in Jordan office who uh, provided uh, some sessions online for our partners in Yemen uh, in coordination with uh, our Yemeni uh, partnership unit. So uh, it was a hybrid uh, modality, but it was also yeah, targeting uh, the local Yemeni uh, organization as well.
0: And before we wrap up the conversation, do you want to add anything, Padur?
1: Yeah, uh, thank you, Oksana. So um, I'm, I'm j- just, I want to say that I'm, uh, I'm, uh, I'm very happy. I'm very proud of, you know, all the things that uh, 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 we were able to do this year. Uh, especially this year was a very challenging year. Um, you know, it was full of uh, many, uh, you know, mis, uh, misfortunate events. A lot of a crisis going on. Uh, but I'm very uh, proud of the way that we were able to support um, in different crises, how we were agile, uh, how we were flexible. I'm really uh, also happy about the amount of coordination and collaboration between the HLA and different uh, partners and different uh, entities in different uh, countries. Uh, and I really wish that, you know, um, this is, this thing is going to, to uh, you know, continue uh, in the future and expand. And we will uh, continue our co- co- coordination and collaboration with different stakeholders so we can achieve our mission in a better way.
0: Sounds great. Abed, what are you most excited about in the upcoming year?
2: Starting from the 2020, to say, um, each year we say, we continue saying, next year will be much better. But uh, unfortunately, and this is a learning to say, that uh, the world is not stable. There's always a possibility to have some, you know, the crisis would hit. So context, you know, generally, I mean, which could be like called a state, um, you know, um, stable context might be changed all of a sudden. We don't know. So that that's what I'm saying, that uh, we're having people like Badur and other team and the, the HLA generally is really con- crucial because we're specific areas we'd be missing, you know knowledge about specific let's say responses uh, we need to capacitate people um, like for example if you have like a new context happened you cannot do anything without having experienced people to say that's why you, they absorb people coming from different contexts but having people like the hla who can capacitate these people the local one who are much but, you know, the best people, we can understand the complex dynamics and respond immediately. So this is a kind of, you know, proactive learning could be provided. Something that keep in mind for, few, you know, for the next year or the one after, because as we said that uh, people are not stable. And um, each year we have several types of crises happening around the world. I'm not optimistic too much to say, but uh, I'm excited to have people like um, Pedro and the team over Chile and the, the, the great work to do in, um, to provide such learning across the world.
0: Let's hope for more productive collaboration in the region then. Thank you both for finding time to speak with me today and let our listeners to learn more about capacity strengthening programs in Middle East and North Africa region. Thank you for joining us today for another episode of Fresh Humanitarian Perspectives from the HLA.